So my name is Dave. I'm an elder here, and I'm kicking off our new series. I just want to start with a few questions. How, how often do you feel like you're not good enough, or do you wonder if you're going to make the cut? Perhaps that it's, it's at work. Perhaps it's in relationships. Perhaps as a parent, like, are you really good enough? Uh, or as a child or a friend? I think these anxieties are with us. Now, I don't myself suffer from that a lot. Um, you, in fact, this morning, you would have seen my confidence often leads my ability. And that's amazing <laughs> until it's not. <laughs> However, even I have these questions. And I think the biggest area in which we face these questions, when we're in our most profound moments, is, am I good enough for God? Like, even if I begged him, would he accept me? Like, can I be good enough? Does he even know about me? Would he bother to answer the phone if I could phone him? Like, I'm so unimpressive. Surely I can't make the grade. And I'm kicking off a series that we've entitled Pursued. It's based on the book of Jonah. And the big idea that we're going to unpack over the next few weeks is that God's abundant sovereign mercy and grace causes him to pursue us, not just answer the phone if we call, causes him to pursue us, whether we are grumpy Christians or ignorant and antagonistic unbelievers. <clears throat> In his kindness, God goes after those who don't know him or have serious anger, selfishness, racist, you can fill in the blank here, issues, and he is able to use them even in their brokenness. Although there is a warning in here. Notwithstanding all of that, it will go so much easier for you if you just obey. Right. I'm going to paint some context about the book of Jonah. Then I'm actually going to tell you the title of my preach in the series Pursued, and that's where the clock comes in. And um, then we'll get going. So <clears throat> this book of Jonah was written about somewhere between 750 and 800 years before Jesus. It was based in, well, Jonah was based in the northern Jewish kingdom of Israel, and I want to tell you about the characters that are going to come into play in this first and second chapter. Well, there's Jonah, there's the sailors, there's the fish, and there's God. Later in the book, we will see that there are the Ninevites and the king and a few others, but I just want to focus on the characters that we have at play. Now, we believe that Jonah himself wrote this book sometime after the events happened, uh, and you'll see he doesn't paint himself in a very favorable light, but nevertheless, we believe he wrote it to showcase God's glory. Now, let's talk about the places that are going to come into play. There's Gath Hefer, which is Jonah's hometown. There's Joppa, which is a port in that northern kingdom of Israel. There's a place called Tarshish, which, as far as we can tell, is, was in Spain. And then there's Nineveh which is the capital of Assyria, which is modern-day Iran. 
Now, a little bit about Nineveh and Assyria. Nineveh was a massive city. It, uh, I suppose you could think of it as like a modern-day Joburg. It was pumping. It was an economic hub. There were lots and lots and lots of people. But culturally, the Assyrians were savage. They were very warlike, and when they came and thrashed you, you stayed thrashed because they killed most of you in horrific and cruel ways, and they were polytheistic. They worshipped lots and lots of different gods, and they rejected the God of the universe. And all of these things together, and the fact that the Israel kingdom had had military issues with Assyria and there were more to come, would have meant that the Assyrians and the Ninevites would have been deeply offensive to any good Israelite. Now, I've got a map. Just to put these things in context, I'm very sorry for the colors. It comes out amazingly over there on that TV. So if you look around, you'll see there is actually blue and gray. And, um, but I will give it a little bit of color. So we have Gath Hefer, which is about 100 k's from Joppa. That's where Jonah starts. Uh, then there's Joppa. Then there's Tarshish, which is about 2,500 k's away. And then Nineveh is about 800 k's northeast of Joppa inland. So that just gives you the picture of the places that are going to come into play in the story. Now, I want to tell you about the title of my preach. And I want to remind you of the big idea. The big idea that we're going to unpack is that God's abundant sovereign mercy and grace causes him to pursue us, whether we're grumpy Christians or ignorant or antagonistic believers. In his kindness, he goes after those who don't know him, or have serious anger, selfishness, racist, insert the blank here, issues, and is able to use them in spite of their condition. And so I have entitled this preach based on this clock, which isn't working. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Now, of course, <clears throat> for a broken clock to be right twice a day, it, kind of, it can't just be up on the wall because you look at it after a while you realize it's broken and you don't pay attention. But if someone else keeps the broken clock and whips it out at the right time, you go, oh, I told the time right. Well done the clock. No, no, no. Well done the person who put the clock up when the time was right. Let's read about Jonah the broken clock. <clears throat> I'm going to read chapter one now. I'm not going to put it up on screen. It's such a beautifully written story. I want to invite you to get into the story. What they fit into, a couple of words, I think is amazing. Remember the context. Remember Gath Hefer, Joppa, Tarshish, which is very far away, and Nineveh. Here we go, Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for that evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. 
They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. That's an impressive stunt, I think. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, who will, will, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous uh, against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Yo, that is a proper story. So let's just have a look at the cast members. Let's start with Jonah. Now, clearly, Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. And he certainly does not want to deliver this message from God. Why? There's a lot more of that later in the book, but I am going to summarize it. He hated the Ninevites. And he was so offended that God would want to speak to them. It was like, no, I'm out. I'm done. And to his great expense, 100 k's from Gath Hefer to Joppa, that's quite hard when you don't have a car, 2,500 k's to Nineveh, that would have cost him money. And it said he paid for the fare. He didn't stow away. He actually took his cash and he paid. He is running hard. He is investing in running hard. But I thought it's quite easy for us to go, oh, I don't really get it. The Syrians and the Hebrews, what's the deal? So try to think of a modern-day equivalent. So I went back to apartheid South Africa, and I imagined uh, a black man just outside Peter Maritzburg being told by God to go to Pretoria to preach judgment of the Lord against the apartheid government. That would be offensive, because maybe God will forgive them. 
So instead, he hooks off to Durban and buys a ticket to Mauritius. Because those are the distances at play here. And that's Jonah. Jonah ignores the God who controls the earth and the sea and gaps it. Now, why, why do you think he ran? It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he didn't just disobey, he ran away. And I think he was going, if I get far, further away, maybe I'll get out of signal. And he won't be able to speak to me anymore. Maybe he won't be able to find me. Well done, Jonah, you get an A. So he goes off, he coughs up a lot of cash. No doubt this would have taken time. And he's running, he goes onto the ship, and then things start going badly. The wind and the storm come up, and it puts the ship at risk. And we can see this was a proper storm because the sailors were scared. These sailors were hardened seafarers. They, they'd watched this movie before. Storms did not particularly bother them. In fact, you needed a bit of storm to get where you were going because if it's calm, it's very boring on a boat. You don't get anywhere. You don't deliver your cargo. You can't trade. You don't get any money. So they don't frighten easily. Then this gets so bad, they start chucking the cargo overboard, which meant they were impoverishing themselves. Because they show up with no cargo, there's no trade, and when they get back, even if that wasn't their cargo, assuming they get back, nobody's going to pay them. So these guys' lives are at risk. They're picking between poorness and death. They're not worried about profitable life. They're going, hey, anything we can do to survive. They're chucking their future wealth overboard. And that's not working, and so they do what I call in pool. I don't know if you play pool, like a game with balls on a table, and if your aim is bad, every now and again, you just say, I'm going to put a lot of energy into those balls, and I'm going to hit and hope. It's called calling all pockets, and that's what they were doing with all their little gods. It's like, pick one and pray, because maybe someone will listen. It said, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Like, oh, my word, please, it's out of our pay grade. Maybe someone will hear. Now, they're so desperate that they want to call all pockets that the, the captain goes looking for Jonah. And he says, hey, you've got to pray too. That's another pocket we can't not aim at. And so he pulls Jonah out of his sleep and says, come on, that's the least you can do. I know you're a paying customer, but you may die if you don't pray. And then, so no doubts, I mean, I don't know what happened, but they figure this is not enough. We actually need to find the person who's to blame, okay? Because this is, this is too bad. This can't be random. There must be something going on. And they cast lots, and the lasts point to Jonah. Can you imagine? I, I imagine it's like lots, there's a few ways of doing it, but it's like a Darcy thing, and it, like, it lands in front of Jonah, like the, the silence, Ooh, the awkward, the way the heads turn, and Jonah going, I haven't run far enough. <laughs> and they say, like, what is going on? Like, what have you done? Who are you? Where do you fit in the picture? Help us ascribe meaning to this. And this is where Jonah, the clock, starts to witness about God's great glory. He says, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He's just figured out 
You can run, but you can't hide. Because this is the God above all gods. He is everywhere. He made everything. He controls everything. And the sailors got it. Like actually what Jonah did is he completely gazumped their little gods. They may have been praying to the God of the sea or the God of their hometown or the God of ships or luck or whatever. It's like a little niche skill. And Jonah goes, no, I serve the God of everything. And they go, yo, we've been wasting our time with our little prayers that are not going to do anything. And their eyes go wide. All of a sudden, they're less afraid of the sea and more afraid of this God who is making the sea go mad. And they say, what is this that you have done? Like, of course you put us, us, us at risk. What were you thinking, you idiot? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord who makes everything and is everywhere because he told them. They realized that they were so far out of their pay grade, they had nothing to bring to this. And apart from some amazing intervention, they were doomed because now they understood that this wasn't just an ordinary storm. This next bit's properly dramatic, so I'm going to read it again. <clears throat> so he said, no, like, what must we do? What must we do? He said, chuck me over. Now, if it was me, he would have been overboard before he'd finished the sentence because I'm done with this guy. Like, I'm done. And it says, nevertheless, once he'd said that, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more tempestuous against him. But they, they show mercy to Jonah. Like the ochre caused this. They show mercy. They say, no, 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 we can't throw you over. Let's try, let's try again, even though it's pointless. And the Lord just dials up the volume. He says, no, you can't get back to shore. So they realize, okay, we're up for this. We've got to do it. But they're going, yo, it's one thing to throw someone overboard. It's another thing to get judged by the God Almighty for chucking a guy overboard. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, oh Lord, this is their first real prayer that counts. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. I reckon that would have been more scary than the storm. Yo, what just happened? There is a God who is bigger than the storm. Jonah was right. We've seen it. And it changed their lives. These men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. In the context of the Old Testament, for someone who was not an Israelite, this is as close to what we would call a salvation experience as you can have. They chucked their old beliefs, and they turned towards God and made sacrifices and vows toward him. Like, this is amazing. Like, God had mercy on a bunch of sailors who were actually his enemies because they'd picked other gods. Like, there, he's pursuing them. I mean, it's quite a story, but he's pursuing them. Who did he use? Useless Jonah. 
like broken clock. He whips them out, and the sailors get saved because they see God at work. Now, let's talk about the fish. I don't want to say that the pictures you may have seen at Sunday school are very unhelpful. Like, you imagine this little cave. It's like got fish bones. There's like some fishy thing underneath. I actually seen one or two with Jonah chilling with a little fire. Like, there's no airspace inside. And to check this, I googled whale's lungs. And they look like ours, just a lot bigger. There's, there's, there's not space. So if you go into a fish, like imagine something in your stomach. It's like there's, there's no air. There's, it's dark and it's juices. And it's, it's like you can't survive there for any meaningful amount of time. This is what it said. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, the fish served two purposes. The first is as an Uber, to get Jonah back to dry land because it was only at that point that he could continue on God's original instruction. But the second was to serve as a grave and to showcase God's great power. Jesus actually referred to this in Matthew. This is what he said. He was being questioned about stuff, and he said to them, The sinful people of this day look for something special to see. There'll be nothing special to see but the powerful works of the early preacher Jonah. Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of a big fish, and the Son of Man himself will be three days and three nights in the grave also. The men of the city of Nineveh will stand up with the people of this day on the, on, the men, on the day men stand before God. Those men will say, these people, that's talking about them, are guilty because the men of Nineveh were sorry for their sins. That's for next week. And turned from them when Jonah preached. And see, someone greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus based on what was going to happen to him, certainly suggests that Jonah died in the fish. He wasn't, wasn't chilling by a fire. He died, and God rose him from the dead. Now, there's a lot of debate about this. You read lots of commentators, and they debate, and did he stay alive, or did he not? And I think people sometimes struggle, like, how could Jonah have died and be brought back? But we believe God raised Jesus from the dead, so it's not unreasonable to believe that God could raise him from the dead. Because God's powerful. Like, don't be, like, inconsistent and say, no, God can raise Jesus from the dead, but not Jonah. But even if he did, even if he kept him alive in a place where there's no oxygen and it's acid, like, that's an incredible miracle that showcases the sovereignty of God. The point I'm making here is don't, <clears throat> don't get distracted on what I think may be a smaller part of the story, God kept Jonah alive where there was no air for three days. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about God because he's the main character here. I mean, Jonah is such a doofus and it carries on him being a doofus. And what we see is God orchestrating things and revealing himself to Jonah and other people. What do we learn about him? First, God has concern for all people. It says, Jesus said, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever 
believes in him should have eternal life. So, and what's interesting here is that actually at the time, Israel, where Jonah lived, wasn't in great shape. They were getting quite good at sinning against God. And, and Jonah could have, like God could have said, Jonah, you need to sort out the Israelites because there's mess there. He sent him on mission. And so this idea, oh, why are we sending missionaries elsewhere? There's enough need here. Well, we see the heart of God for all peoples in the first paragraph of the book. There's another application for us that there may be people that God wants to see saved that you hate. There are some politicians that I want, actively want to go to hell. I'm, and it's sinful for me to do that because God loves them as much as he loves amazing me. I mean, you get, okay, I'm not that amazing. And actually, relative to God's standard, me or you, and polit- insert politician's name here, because across the spectrum, I'm sure there's someone you can find to hate. Like, we're the same. We're equally sinful before a perfect God. And so, like, we can't hope. It's inappropriate for us to hope that people go to hell. The comfort is that if people don't accept God's forgiveness, justice will be done. But actually, if they accept God's forgiveness, justice has been done. Because Jesus paid that price so that justice could be done before God for all of humanity. I do hope that this softens our hearts toward the people that is really hard to love. It may be that you need to repent of not wanting God to save someone or some people group. The second is he is very patient and kind with his children who disobey. God could so easily have done, Jonah, I'll pick someone else. And he could have done that. The message would have got to Nineveh sooner because he could have done that the minute Jonah walked out of Gath Hefer. A lion or a rock or a heart attack, he's done and he starts again. But he doesn't. He pursues. He pursues Jonah. Can I have that one? He pursues Jonah. And like he, like he pursues Jonah in a way that he knows Jonah will get it. And I'm going to read something that Jonah said. After this, you see he does get it, although you'll see he gets a bit forgetful later. But he is so kind. And I think there's an application for us. It's like God will not give up on you as his child, even if you run away. There's a secondary application, which is don't run away because it's going to be hard. Okay, so there's like an easy... I used to say this to my kids. They weren't obeying. And I'd say, guys... We can do this the easy way or the hard way. And I'd say, they'd say, of course, what's the easy way? And I'd say, well, you just do what I told you to do. And they go, oh, what's the hard way? And then I'd describe in somewhat graphic detail what would happen to them if they didn't do this. They go, okay, I'll pick the easy way. <laughs> this is the note. It's like, don't do this. It's not in your own self-interest to disobey God. But I know that it's sometimes hard because what God asked of Jonah is hard. And you may be feeling like God is talking to you, but you you don't like what he's saying. What do you do? 
I want to encourage you not to keep it to yourself and take independent decisions. Like this is why we are in a community of faith is we can work this out together. We're a community on a mission. And so if you've got something you're grappling with, talk to those in your growth group. Come and look for guidance. Because sometimes God speaks directly and sometimes he confirms that through other people. So make use of the community of God. The third is he is very patient and kind to those who don't know him. First, he sends Jonah to Nineveh. He doesn't just go, Nineveh, you're done. He sends them. And these sailors, they're like side issues in the story, and he saves them. Notwithstanding that those, all of these guys he saves are offensive to him because they worshipped other gods. So there's an application. If you do not know Jesus, God loves you. And wants you in his family. And if you have any of those doubts articulated at the beginning, they are false. The fact that you're here today means that God is pursuing you. And the last one is God can use broken clocks. And in some ways, we're all broken. Maybe not as broken as this one, but like the battery's slow and we're like a bit useless. But it's God working in us to do great things. It's actually not what you bring to the table. Notwithstanding the fact that he has gifted you in some ways, but it's God working through you. So don't go, oh, I can't do that. I'm useless. Woe is me. No. God can use you even if you strongly identify with the broken clock. And if maybe, like me, you maybe identify with an overachieving clock, he can also use you. There is so much to chew on here. And um, I hope there's application. We're going to finish. I'm actually going to read the poem that Jonah wrote as, as I finish. And then I'm going to hand over to Temba to close. But this, Jonah 2, is the most incredible poem that Jonah wrote. And I'm going to invite you again. I'm not going to have it up on the screen. It's Jonah 2 if you want to read it later. But won't you close your eyes and just listen to what Jonah says, and then it will be up to Temba. Now Jonah's in, he's like in, he's in the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again on your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Most profound verse of the book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land.